Pastor Michael, I know you just have green tea, but I'm doing a uh, a a drink change here for day eight of the Twelve Days of Restless. Mark Triscoll calls cessationism false teaching. Pastor Michael, we're back here on the Twelve Days of Restless. I am opening a Bohemian Pilsner because, unlike dealing with the claims of Roman Catholicism. The claims of Mark Driscoll do not require a protein shake. They can be handled over a <laughs> from a local brewery. A little so bit easier, right? A little bit more straightforward. There's not as much of a, you know, of a, a language barrier between oh, wow. us and uh, the, the Pastor, Pope of Scottsdale. Did you, but Pastor Michael, yeah, let's watch it, and then we can discuss... Um, then we can discuss a definition of false teaching um, and what he's saying, and we can also attempt to refute it if we think it's possible. <laughs> All right, let me start over here. Cessationism, and it essentially says these kinds of supernatural, inexplicable ways that God works have ceased in this era. I believe that is antithetical to the Bible, and I think that false teaching is a strong word, but I would suggest it as a possibility for this kind of teaching, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, God works yesterday, today, and forever continuously, and if they needed God's powerful presence, we do as well. I believe in the supernatural. I believe in healing. I believe that God answers prayer. I believe in revelation. And some of you will say, well, what about the Bible? I am a Bible guy. I came to all these conclusions, teaching verse by verse, nearly half of the books of the entire Bible. And God speaks and God lives and God acts and God heals and God delivers. And when he does, he is to be praised. Cessationism. And it essentially... So there you go, Pastor Michael. There's Mark Driscoll's hot take of the day, which, by the way, here on Restless, where this week we're doing all the hot takes, this is a pretty ice cold, like, there is nothing at stake in this take, <laughs> Mark Driscoll. Uh, so he said, probably the least contro controversial thing I tweet about right here, there's almost never any disagreement in the comments. Well, we get it. We get it. I think there was almost no comments on this thing, because... Uh, it's just it's just not that hot right now. Um, even though there's the cessationist movie, Pastor Michael, you should reach out to those guys. See if we can. get. Yes, I need to. I just have not um, done it, but uh, I'm sure we could get uh, Les Lanfear on the podcast again. Um, he's been on before and we've Let's had him it. on in the past and um, should definitely have him on. I've mentioned before that I actually backed in part the cessationist movie. Very little. <laughs> I mean, not. Nothing, nothing much, but while they were raising funds to uh, do it. So you will find my name uh, in the in the end credits of that movie. Um, and I don't know that I agree with everything in it, right? Like, I don't know that it was exactly where I would line up, but I do think that it's doing some good work. And so uh, put put some money behind it. I haven't seen it. I do know uh, Mr. Gavin Ortland, the nice, uh, everyone's favorite Christian. Got it right here, actually. Funny oh, enough, it was just on my... Uh, Sitting on my shelf, so. Everyone's favorite reformed apologist has created an hour-long response attempting to refute all five of the key arguments he found in the movie. Okay. Um, and so. Come on, Gavin. You're doing, you're doing so much good stuff. <laughs> Don't do this to us, man. Saddle <laughs> me with this. Um, so, Pastor Michael, Mark Driscoll, 
decided to restrain himself. He saying, was. He was really. I know it's a strong did. term, but, but I want to possibly say possibly, that it could apply. That to was. <laughs> come on, Mark Driscoll. No, we don't. I don't know. He must. He just must know. There's some people in his church uh, that are sympathetic to cessationism maybe some givers you know what i mean like they- <laughs> i do know what you mean to the guy giving away that truck that we <laughs> was largely done for a tax write-off um but so pastor michael i remember this old hilarious clip this was late in rc sproul's life where they were where he was asked at a ligonier conference to define i this made me realize i want to do this for an episode just watch a compilation of rc sproul giving answers that made him laugh that like were uncomfortable for other people. Um, so RC Sproul was asked to define a false teacher, and he says, "Anytime anyone says anything false," um, and I love it. Love I just it. like he didn't care. And then like Albert Moeller jumped in, and people like offered like I think some important uh, explanations. Yeah, right. Of course, of course. He literally was like, you know, in Calvin, and I looked for this quote at the time and couldn't find. It. He's like, and Calvin said, like, you know, and all of us are never more than eighty percent right. So. 20% of the time, I guess we're all false teachers. Like this man late <laughs> in his life, just just like humbly <laughs> not caring at all. Which just doesn't care anymore. Just yeah, I love but, it. So the, the issue I have is if we use um if we use Sproul's definition of false teaching, Mark Driscoll as a continuationist would be completely justified and correct to call cessationism yes. false teaching, right? Um, but it seems to me that there would be a difference between false teaching error heresy right because then what i would say is continuationism is a false teaching um refusing the baptism of infants as a false like i like right you just create a long list of a long list which yeah i think that's a helpful way to to uh maybe make a distinction is there's false teaching which i think is is um is a much more extreme thing than simply being in error, right? Like you can be wrong, uh, but you're not necessarily like in that category of a false teacher. I mean, you are uh, at at that point antagonistic to the faith in some way, right? You are leading people away from Christ as a false teacher. Uh, Whereas it's possible to be a teacher of the word, right? A a Bible teacher um, who gets things wrong. Right. That's basically all of us that I think that distinction you're using is really helpful. Sorry, R.C. Sproul. I think this distinction Pastor Michael's using is actually better than the one you gave late in your life. Uh, <laughs> so you did everything else better than him. But that's this, right. this is true. <laughs> this is true. I, is that that is a good distinguishing marker. Right. Because, again, even biblically, right, we have Apollos who was yep. corrected in his teaching. Paul so stands up to Peter, right? Peter's an apostle, right? The head of the apostles. And uh, Paul still reprimands him uh, for for his actions and and uh, error. And so, yeah, of course you can. Of course there is error that doesn't put you into the full position of, of a false teacher. Now, I don't necessarily think that's wrong to then say it's a like an error that you are persistently teaching is a false teaching. Right. right. Like it is a false teaching. That doesn't mean that you are necessarily a false teacher. And that's a fine line. Admittedly, there's probably some gray area in there that makes it a little bit difficult to decide when you've crossed that line. Uh, but there is probably a good distinction to be made there as well. 
yeah. I, but yeah, I generally am going to use the term false teaching, though, while not technical, it's not a technical way. It's for a teaching that's actually that teaching is leading you away from Christ, is putting you outside of outside of the church. Now, you might yep. still be in the church and you have this this false this false teaching, but the teaching itself is outside of what um what what should be in the church now. Uh, and I think that's pretty close to what Mark Driscoll's saying. Um, now he's wrong. And I just want to deal with like just a few quick things that he mentions in this video. The first one was his definition of cessationism, that God does not work miraculously or in ways we cannot understand today. Which is not even close. <laughs> this is the definition when, when I say I'm a cessationist. This is 100% what the person argues against. It is. Except, yeah, it is. Except probably Gavin Ortland, who will very charitably, <laughs> you know, read like a thousand quotes for 10 minutes. <laughs> and um but but I just want you to know if you're a person who's resistant to cessationism, this is not an accurate definition of cessationism. Yeah. Our our belief is that God in the days of Jesus and the apostles did things that we have no reason to accept, um, um, expect their continuation of. And we would specifically use two categories. One, apostles and any gifts associated with being an apostle, right? If you're an Orthodox Christian today, if you believe there are apostles as in the kind that paul and peter were alive today that is a false teaching that would put you outside of the church right so there aren't apostles anymore we believe that and other gifts like that ceased and two we believe the scripture is the final and complete revelation and there is no revelation like that being given anymore today yeah now there are a lot of actual questions like detailed questions we could ask about with cessationism beyond those points. Yep. Well, what gifts are associated with the apostles exactly? Um, is there a kind of revelation that could continue, even if it's not like scripture and not like the prophets? Those are reasonable questions. And some cessationists would differ on the details of those questions. Mm -hmm. But what I'm simply asking you to do is giving to give me a fair definition, one that I would actually use for myself. Yeah, sometimes I've thought maybe, and this has gone on my uh, future book list of things I need to write at some point. We talked about this um, somewhat recently, but uh, working on something like, you know, should we call it something like supernatural cessationism? Because I'll admit there are guys who um, think of themselves as cessationists that do basically believe in a kind of a post enlightenment materialist view of the world. Uh, that is a real thing. That's a, that's a real position that some men have held, whether they mean to hold that or not. Um, that is how it comes across sometimes. Um, and that's not at all what I believe, right? I have an incredibly supernatural view of things. I just don't believe that the apostolic gifts continue, right? Because right. they were, they were very specific um, to the founding era of the church, especially leading up to the closing of the canon. And so um, that like that is primary. And so one of the things that Mark Driscoll says is, well, this can't be true because look, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, yep. right? He always works the same. That's objectively false. <laughs> yep. 
Yes. That's so obviously clearly false, right? Like we all agree, by the way, we all agree that that is not true, right? It would take very little time for us to find something like, hey, the the civic uh, kingdom of Israel being the visible people of God on earth, the only, right? Like maybe we disagree on whether or not they continue to be as a, a civil order, the people of God. But let's just say, like that they are the exclusive people of God. Well, we pretty much all disagree with that, right? I mean, I'm I'm saying pretty much because I'm sure there's some, you know, kind of wacky people yep. uh, that don't agree with that. But for the most part, I think that probably uh, we can all agree with something like that, uh, that, you know, God is no longer using the kings of Israel as Good. some of the primary leaders of his people. And And in fact, it would be dangerous to believe God always works the same way. In yeah. Again, like just think about like this, and this is why you get covenant theology. This is why you get dispensationalism is people are trying to account for the different ways it appears God has interacted. This is why we have Christmas, by the way, because God did a new thing in a new covenant. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh and was born of the Virgin Mary. That was different. That had never happened before, right? And it has not happened since, nor will it, right? Like that's, so it's so obviously ridiculous to argue from those lines. Hey, God always is the same. Therefore, he works the exact same way all the time. That's just uh, obviously false. Right. And so his second, maybe his other argument for this is God is present today. And just like they needed his presence, we need his presence today. So God you know, has to be with us through healing and, you know, whatever else. Like, uh, Pastor Michael, how would you respond to this idea that this is like, this is the, um, this is the presence of, this is the presence of God? Uh, to, to categorize the presence of God purely with the miraculous manifestations of God's power mm. is really close to idolatrous, right? Like that is very possibly the same error of taking the bronze serpent that God heals through and then looking to that as if it is it is the end all and be all, like the, the power comes from that. Yeah. Because the reality is that especially as new covenant believers, we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. And we live in a day when we have the total and complete revelation of God, where God speaks authoritatively all the time that we have access to all the time. And that's something that even in the, the, the time of the apostles, the believers did not have, right? They had the apostles, but they did not have that. And so, um, you know, we've been given uh, the presence of God in a way that is, is incredibly, you know, uh, clear. Um, and I, you know, I don't know how else to put it. Like the, right. the idea that the presence of God is, the miraculous outworking of his power, it's just not true. It's its one, I, as I've said, I think it is because Mark Driscoll and most of, just all of us, have a pretty unspiritual view of the world. Yeah. So we have this fear, if I can't experience, see, or feel like something supernatural is happening, there it must not be. Yeah. Which is already giving into the fact that the world you don't believe the world is God's word being moved by him in all ways. Yeah. In him, we live, move and have our being right. Like there's like God is present all the time, everywhere. 
um, in, in the smallest of ways, in the biggest of ways. Um, and again, even in an even more direct way, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. You're united to Christ. You're seated with him in the heavenly places. I don't know how, I don't know what more you can want. <laughs> and, and biblically, again, biblically, this just doesn't add up. Do you know the church with the most spiritual gifts in the New Testament? It is the worst New Testament church. It is the Corinthian church. They have plenty of this. And Paul is upset. Uh, right? Think about how Paul commanded Timothy to continue to, to lead the church in First and Second Timothy. And he makes no mention That's right. of the miraculous gifts. Timothy... Ev and it's, it's so important. The apostles are about to die. Timothy needs to learn how to continue to lead the church. And apparently, he is going to have to learn to lead the church without the supernatural as the apostles had it to lead and establish the testimony of Christ. Yep. And, and even when he is ill, right? Yeah. He, has, he has a problem uh, with his stomach. Uh, Paul doesn't say, well, let me pray that you would be healed. Um, he says, why don't you take a little wine, right? Like, why don't you use some of the natural means of healing your gut uh, and then go on and preach the word, Timothy, in season right. and out of season. And and again, because obviously these gifts had such a specific, God had a specific intention with them because not even Paul is healed, right? We often right. make jokes like never trust a faith healer that can't heal themselves. I'm not making that joke anymore because <laughs> it would condemn the Apostle Paul. Yeah, uh, you've got a good point. You've got... <laughs> Because God the difference is that Paul was not right the faith course. healer, right? He wasn't going around as a charlatan saying, well, "Look, we can heal every disease. We can do every," you know. Right. <laughs> well, but the reason they had a specific gift, and the reason is now whether or not you agree with me that many of these gifts have ceased as they functioned in the New Testament, you have to agree with me they will cease, and they are not primary to what Paul describes the Christian life as. Right. What is the what are the what is the thing that the Christian life adds to the human experience in a supernatural way that Paul fascinatingly thinks comes from nowhere else? It's faith, hope, and love. Yeah. Whenever Paul talks about the miraculous power of the gospel to produce something in Christians that is not natural to the world, it's faith, hope, and love. And obviously the greatest of these is love because it will never end. Everything else ends. But love doesn't. Love goes on forever because God is love. That is the way God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And that is the that is the life we get to join to now supernaturally and continue on forever. That's the gospel. Not that God will always grant every prayer the way you ask. Not that he'll heal every disease now but that you who know the love of God in Jesus Christ will know it forever. Amen. Pastor Michael, we got to get back to just doing more Mark Driscoll stuff because it was all happy and fun. <laughs> Please subscribe if this was happy and fun for you today uh, here on this day of Restless.